Why is it hard to be patient? Because you want to do fun things, and then you have to do something bad and it's not fun, like take out the garbage, like I usually have to. Some things are so excited they can't really wait for them very long. I can only wait like two minutes for something to happen. Then I'm just, after that, I'm just so impatient that I can't stand it any longer. I don't necessarily like being patient, but when I know I have to, I do. If you weren't patient, then like, you would just say, I want it done right now. No, mom, I want dinner right now or else. So it would kind of turn into a bossy world. Well, good morning. How many of you can relate to those kids when it comes to patience? How many of us need patience this morning? I think we could all probably put our hands up in the air. Uh, I found that life is filled with all kinds of opportunities for us to develop this thing called patience. And many, if not most, of those opportunities aren't really all that important, particularly in how they, they turn out. But they do test how patient we are. I thought of some examples that might impact some others, not me, of course. But maybe waiting in the grocery store when there are 10 aisles and only two are open and you're like 15 people back. Not a lot of fun. Or maybe you're driving down the highway and there's nobody behind you and a car zips in front of you and then they slow right down to about 20. My wife calls those people angels. Maybe it's showing up at the doctor's office and you're, you're, uh, you're on time and it's about an hour and a half before you get seen. Or, or maybe slow service at a fast food restaurant Maybe waiting on a spouse, getting ready for church because you want to be on time. Or maybe, last but not least, long-winded preachers that just continue to go on and on and on and on. Well, in the big picture, when you think of those opportunities for patience development, they're really, they're primarily inconveniences, aren't they? Because ultimately, we'll get to the grocery store. We will get to our destination. We'll see the doctor. Our food will come. We'll get to church on time. Please be at church on time before worship starts. I just added that part in there. But you know what? Pastors are always going to be long-winded, so you just have to get used to that one. Uh, the opportunities that we have really should cause us to slow down just a little bit and see really a lot of those things are no big deal. But what about when the big stuff of life hits the fan? What about, being timed, what about being patient in times of suffering or in those places where it's overwhelming and the pain is beyond your ability to maintain it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It could be relational pain. It could be emotional pain. It could be physical pain. It could be all kinds of different things. And wouldn't it be nice for those of us who identify as followers of Christ that once we've placed our faith in Jesus and We've surrendered our lives. We wouldn't have to face any of those kind of situations. I've confessed my need for forgiveness. I read the Bible and it told me that I'm a sinner. I had no problem admitting that. I acknowledge that Jesus is my only hope of salvation. And uh, I've invited him to be the leader or the Lord of my life. And now everything is going to be peachy keen. Not true. Listen to some verses in God's word to us. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal 
that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then Jesus' words to disciples and the us this morning, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You imagine what the disciples must have been thinking when they heard that. The reality is, is that difficulties and challenges are part of our lives, even as followers of Jesus while we're on this earth. And I know that many of you understand that and have, have, are in the middle of that. I've sat with many of you and you've told me your story. Well, that story is true for me and my wife as well. My wife is Marianne. She's doing the online thing this morning. But I want to show you a picture of my family. Go ahead and go, ooh, isn't that beautiful? What a family. That is a beautiful, beautiful family. That's my son Joe in the right-hand corner and his beautiful wife Michaela and my four grandkids. And then there's my daughter Rebecca and her husband Jake. And when my wife and I took, it was during the summer, 15 seconds before that picture was taken, everybody was crying. I ripped those yellow flowers off a plant, gave it to them. Snap, we have a happy family. My wife and I love that picture. But when we look at that picture, there's a big gap. There's a big hole that's in that picture that you don't see. And the gap in that picture is my daughter, Melody Joyful. And if I cry, that's okay. I have tissues, and Rob has tissues right up here for anybody too. Melody was born on August 27, 1988. She went to be with Jesus. This is a picture. I took that one day right before we were getting her ready. She went to be with Jesus on September 23, 2006. She was 18 years old. And we knew from the beginning that Melody had all kinds of issues. Not long after she was born, she was having like 40 seizures a day, these multifocal seizures. She couldn't eat. She refluxed really badly when we did get food into her. So had a G-tube put in and had this thing called the fundification where they wrapped the stomach around the esophagus so it would stop the reflux. Her bladder was refluxing into her kidneys, so they did a bilateral reimplant of her ureters to keep her kidneys from blowing out. She had scoliosis so bad they fused her spine top to bottom, and ultimately she had a big tumor on her, on her neck that, that took her life. Um, life was hard for Melody Joyful, and because of that, life was hard for the full family. And the impact of her life and the impact of her struggles and her death continue to impact us in some ways. So you might say, Wendell, why are you sharing this with us? Because I want you to feel bad for me. And that's not at all why I'm sharing that with you. I am who I am, and Marianne is who she is, and our family is who we are because of the difficulties that we went through. So I share it with you so you know that I understand difficulty, but I also want to share this with you because God's Word speaks to us about what do we do in these kinds of situations and in these places in our life. And so we're continuing our series in, in uh, the book of James called Real Life Faith, and we're going to read our text this morning. So I just want you to listen as I read. God's word to us. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What I want to focus on uh, is the three examples that James gives to us. Not if, but when we encounter times of difficulty. And what I want to do is quickly point out the examples in our text of, of people who dealt with some difficulty and then what we can learn from them. There's a lot else, a lot of other things in the text, but that will be for another time. So the first example that James gives to us is that of a farmer. Many farmers in the room this morning, I have a feeling we don't have too many here at Eastern Hills. But listen to verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. So James says, here's an example. Here's a farmer. You need to be patient like him. The hardworking farmer is an unbelievable picture or example of patience. Because the farmer can only do a few things. He can prepare the soil. He can plant the seed. He can keep the field weeded. And then he has to do what? Wait. He just has to wait. And he has to, by faith, expect that God will supply all the conditions that are necessary for that crop to grow. It'll be the rain and the sunshine. And then it's not even guaranteed that the crop will grow. The, the farmer does everything that he can do, and then he has to wait patiently. So that's the first example. James moves on to the example of the prophets that we find in the Old Testament. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, and as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, which means God gave these guys the message they were to speak. He put them in the place that they were in, and they had to be faithful. If you notice in the text, James doesn't tell us exactly who the prophets are, but if you've never read about them, go to the Old Testament, read about Jeremiah and Isaiah, and you will find very quickly these guys had a tough job and there was not a warm reception by those who were listening, the Israelites. A prophet was called by God to speak forth and to advocate for God. They were teachers that he utilized to speak out against corruption as well as to speak about visions of the future. And life was not easy as they continually spoke this message that God gave to them. But you think about it, as much as God called them and honored them and loved them, he did not keep them or exempt them from difficulties. And in spite of that, they were faithful to share the message that God gave to them and required them to have patience and perseverance. Which really moves us to the, the last example that we find is the example of Job. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. If you've never read the book of Job, I'd encourage you to do it later. But in the very first few chapters, we find that Job loses everything in one fell swoop. His children, his livestock, his servants. And then not long after that, he's even, his health is even impacted. He's got some so-called friends who are very unhelpful and unloving and then understandably, I think Mrs. Job, we don't have her name, has a really difficult time with everything that's been happening to her husband as well as to her. And she, she tells Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Listen to Job's response. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. 
Job was not a mess up. In fact, he's described as a blameless, upright man who feared God and shunned evil. If there was somebody you would think that might not have to deal with suffering and difficulty, it would be like a, a guy like Job. And our text says that he persevered. He pushed on. So what do we learn? We see these three examples. What can we learn from the farmer? We need to do what we can do and then leave the rest to God. We need to do what we can do and leave the rest to God. There's our part and there's God's part. In fact, most of the time that I've spoke, I've usually said there's usually a contingency that we, we have a responsibility. God can't make corn grow for the farmer until the land's been prepared, the seed's been planted, and the field's been cared for. The outcome is totally up to God. And so being patient doesn't mean we just sit around, twiddle our thumbs, and wonder what God's going to do. We need to be actively involved. So Marianne and I, we prayed and prayed, and we believed that God could heal Melody. We know that God is a healing God and can heal, has healed. So we cared for her. We provided for her. We loved her. We struggled. We hurt. We cried. We did all those things. We woke up each morning, and we did the best that we could do to care for her. And we waited knowing because of our faith in Jesus, that he would do what was best in that situation. Not what we wanted, but what was best. I'll explain that in just a minute. What I'm not saying, you didn't hear me say this, that it was easy. It was possible for us to do that. It wasn't easy. Paul says it this way in Galatians 6. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so many times, in the middle of difficulty, we just feel like saying, I can't do this anymore. And we want to throw the towel in. And the example of the farmer is that we just continue. We continue on. Not easy, right? Not easy. What do we learn from the prophet's example? What do we learn here? As I said, you know, Job, I'm sorry, James doesn't specifically mention any of the prophets here. But all we have to do is jump to the, the book of Hebrews Chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith, is a list of names of people, who prophets and others, who remain faithful. Not knowing what the result was going to be when they continue to do what God asked them to do. And listen to verse uh, 13 in chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You think about this task that they were given to say, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's what's going to happen. And they died not seeing that take place. Think of all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. It didn't happen until centuries later. And so James, in our text here, is, is urging us to remain faithful as the prophets did all the way through this life until we breathe our last and trust God to work it out. Melody died. Not what we wanted to happen. But that did not mean that God was not at work in the middle of all that was going on, accomplishing good out of what we described as bad. And I wish this morning I could have time to tell you story after story after story of God's work in our life and the lives of many others. And we know, we know people who came to faith in Jesus Christ because of Melody and because of watching her deal with difficulty and watching us as a family 
uh, McKevil did her funeral, who's a pastor at Crossroads. And one of the lines he said, a voiceless little girl spoke words of truth where people could see Jesus. So it didn't happen the way we wanted to, but we trusted. And I am, like I said earlier, and we are who we are because of what God did. And I'm confident that God is still at work through her life and her story, even as I share it with you this morning. It's not easy. Uh, there's, a, there's a text, 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, but on, oh, I'm sorry, on not, on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think God uses a different dictionary when he calls light and momentary. I, mine's a whole different dictionary when it comes to that. But I know in eternity's perspective, all that we face will be pretty short. And um, we need to just continue to push on and persevere. And that leads us to Job. What do we learn from Job? Job persevered. He pushed on. He pushed on. He kept trusting, but he was also very honest about what he was feeling and what he was going through. He suffered great tragedy beyond probably what any of us can even imagine here, but he never stopped trusting in God. And he voiced his concerns. He voiced his questions. He, he voiced his, his just not understanding. And I think that just shows that he's just plain human like we are. But his hope was never extinguished and he persevered. Marianne and I definitely voiced our questions and our concerns about Melody's suffering and her pain. We were her parents. And usually one of us was a little bit better than the other and could support each other, which I'm very grateful for. And all we keep on doing was keeping on and persevering. Easy, right? No, not at all. So how, how do we persevere in the middle of those things when we look at these examples? How do we continue on? What do we do that changes the perspective of the situation that we're, we are in? Here's what we had to do. Here's what Mary and I had to do. We go all the way back to the very first verse of our text. And it says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. I want you to do something. Where it says, brothers and sisters, I want you to put your name in there and I want you to say it with me. Here we go. Be patient then, Wendell, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. That's what James is telling us that we need to do. It's a shift of our focus. It's a shift from what we're looking at. And we need to continually remind ourselves that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, the scriptures tell us that he'll make all things right. Everything that has been broken by sin will be restored. And what didn't make any sense will begin to have meaning. So instead of just focusing on the pain, which is so easy to do because it sometimes blocks everything else out, we focus on the promise of the return. We shift our focus from the problem to the promise. We shift our focus from the problem to the promise that Jesus is coming back. When's the last time you thought about that? We think about his birth and we celebrate, we we decorate, we have gifts, we give it all away. Yay, Jesus, he came, he took on flesh. We celebrate his resurrection, we, his, his burial, his death, his resurrection. But just as real as those things are, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to make 
all things new. How do we know that? Well, we go to the very last book of the Bible. There's multiple other verses. The second to last chapter, and this is what we find recorded. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. Last week we took communion together, if you were here. And the reason Jesus tells us to take communion is because we got good forgetters. We forget. And Jesus said, I don't want you to forget that I, I came, I took on flesh, I died, I was buried, and I rose again. But if we continue in the passage in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, verse 26, for whoever... For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? Until he comes. He's coming back. He's coming back. Anybody say amen to that? Amen, right? Until then, until then we persevere. Until then we push on. We here at Eastern Hills want to be a church that is a place where people can come and persevere. A place that comes alongside you and helps you. And if you're in that place this morning, if you're in a hurting place, please don't do it alone. Please don't do it alone. God never created us to be lone rangers. You might struggle and think, oh, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to let anybody know what's going on. Don't listen to that lie. We need each other. In fact, in the scripture, we'll find over 59 verses in the New Testament that talk about us doing life with one another. And when we don't allow others in, we're really disobeying God's word. You're also, when you don't allow others in, you're not allowing God to use people that he's gifted, he's encouraged, he's uh, want the, who, people that he's brought alongside who want to help you, and you're not letting them do that. If you've got a need, you've got to let us know so we can pray. Every prayer request that comes to us, uh, either through the cars or online, we pray for as a staff. We put in a staff prayer thing. We want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you financially. Last week, Pastor Rob mentioned our Good Samaritan Fund. We have people who God is just blessed, who give to this fund, to be able to come alongside you and help you. If you know someone who's hurting and maybe it's not you, don't hesitate to let them know that you're there for them. You might think, oh, I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. Don't worry about it. In fact, if you don't know what to say, don't say it. Shh. Don't say it. Your presence is powerful. It's one of my axioms of life. P squared. Presence is powerful. Just be present. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did when he left heaven? He took on flesh so that he could be with us because we needed him. He left heaven to be present with us. But not only did he leave heaven, he came down and he suffered. So he knows exactly what it is to hurt. I'm going to close by reading this verse out of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, sometimes we do feel like just throwing the towel in because life is so hard. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him so that we could have forgiveness, that we could have the hope of heaven. We thank you that he came so that we would not be alone, that we might know you personally, that you might come alongside us and help us as we persevere. So we're just thankful, Lord. We're so thankful. And this morning, or this morning, Lord, I, I pray for anyone who is doing it alone that they would not do it alone. That, Lord, they would know that we want to come alongside them. Father, we love you so very much. We thank you for your word. And it's your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.